Let's get back to the action on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. And welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It is quarter number three, and I'm Jim Galante along with Dustin Hawkinsmith. Dusty and I are finishing up our series on Penn State football through the decades. We're hitting the 2020s. There was only two seasons, but what a two seasons, Dusty. A lot to talk about with it. We talked about 2020, and I wanted to wrap up that season with this. We had the loss to Indiana early, got beat by Ohio State. They seemed to just spiral down. They were 0-5 until they ended up finishing the season uh, with four straight wins, 4-5. and five. Things they, It seemed like they found the formula that worked. But at the end of the season, because it was this bizarre season, they didn't have to have a 500 or winning record to go to a bowl game, and they chose not to go to a bowl game. Did that tell you anything about that team? Well, I mean, it said that they just wanted this season to be over. They wanted to turn the page. I believe what happened was James Franklin turned that over to their leadership council, which is represented uh, on different class levels. So it wasn't just the seniors saying, let's get the heck out of here. This was everybody voting to say, we, we, we've we been through it. We've seen it. We don't need to play a bowl game to, to know. Never mind the fact that who knows where you're traveling to, what the travel's like, what the hotel life is going to be like, what the restrictions are, all all the different types of things that went into it, including the uh, the temperature checks every day and the symptom checks and, and all the stuff that really just wore everybody out. Um, I think, you know, without a doubt, impacted Penn State more than the average uh, program for some reason they were just ready for this thing to be over Jim and I don't I don't I understood the the decision completely at the time and looking back I don't I don't think there was any reason to do anything differently get get out of there you have a chance who, who can like how much does five and the chance to go five and five really matter to you there's symbolism in, in say getting to that 500 mark but not enough so to deal with all the extra stuff that went with it so at that point they just want to put 2020 behind them it's a COVID year, games were canceled, the season was on, the season was off, it's back on again. Put it all behind them. Thank goodness we go into 2021. But you're doing that now without Will Levis. So untested, as we learned, at backup quarterback. But five weeks into the season, you had a big win on the road against Wisconsin to start the season. You had this big emotional whiteout game against Auburn coming into town. And that was the first big home game with the crowd back. Sensational. Uh, Sean Clifford had an excellent game, perhaps his best as a Penn State quarterback. You beat Auburn. You get to 5-0. and You're ranked number four in the country. You're playing against number three undefeated Iowa at Iowa. And candidly, you're taking it to them. You're up two touchdowns, and that was even after a bad interception by Sean Clifford, or actually two interceptions. But anyway, you are the better team. There is zero doubt in my mind Penn State's the better team than what happened. (laughs) Well... You know, to to lose Sean Clifford and really, you know, I I, I really and I think I made this point on the show before. Take one Roberson. It's not even about 
leading scoring drives. He just needed to be able to to get a player or two in to to get some first downs to not be crushed by that field position battle. You know, Iowa was in a position pretty much for the entire second half where they just needed one play to break loose and 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 they they win the game. And they were doing that from the 45-yard line of Penn State again and again and again because they kept booming it inside the five. And Taquan Roberson couldn't do anything to get Penn State out of it. I really feel like two first downs and you flip it so Iowa's on, let's say, their own 40 or their own 35 or something. Then they connect on that long pass because eventually, you know, a, a power five offense is going to connect on one. Iowa did, and if if Penn State stops them short of the goal line, there's a pretty good chance that they're not scoring there. So really, I don't think the ball was set very high for Take One Roberson. You know, I think what goes into that is you know being with your first year coordinator and spending the off season with him. They invested big time into Sean Clifford growing into that relationship the best way they possibly could. I don't really know if I can propose a different situation. I also think you couple that uh, investment in Sean Clifford with not really believing very much in take one Roberson to the point where you're going to take away valuable reps from your starting quarterback, uh, working with a first time coordinator. Um, So Roberson was not ready for that moment at all. And Penn State had no other options in play. Um, Christian Veyu, I guess, maybe hadn't really emerged behind the scenes yet. They didn't really trust him in that situation either. But my, oh my, I mean, if you're able to escape that one with a win, yeah, maybe Sean Clifford comes back against uh, Illinois two weeks later and isn't quite himself, but you still have some positive vibes and positive momentum. Your back hadn't been broken yet. Uh, but yeah, a lot of things could have changed if they were able to get to the finish line in that game. Um, you're right, Sean Clifford threw two back-breaking interceptions, and they were still putting up points on this Iowa defense. And I didn't really like Iowa's offense to be able to keep pace with that for very long. So I think Penn State, if Sean Clifford does not get hurt, um, he's he's six and zero. But again, I mean, the the flip side of it, I keep coming back to this. Uh, your offensive line wasn't protecting. Iowa was getting hard hits on Sean Clifford. Not that you're going to say, hey, Iowa deserved to knock out a, a starting quarterback, but they knocked out everybody's starting quarterback to that point in the year too. So it's like, yeah, there, it's some flukiness to it, but also, you know, a little bit of explanation, a little bit of reason behind it. Where I think you still have to fault Penn State and Penn State's coaching staff is you did not know Taquan Roberson wasn't ready. And you had a situation where Christian Vayu, a few weeks later, and again, I know it was Rutgers, but he at least appeared competent. Did that just happen over those couple weeks between, you know, the Iowa game and the Rutgers game? Were you not able to identify that maybe he was the better option? I think they probably didn't open their minds to identifying he was the better option until Roberson did what he did at Iowa. You know, I, I don't. I, I think without that Iowa game, without the helplessness of the Penn State offense, maybe they weren't digging quite as deep to try to figure out, you know, if AU was actually better than him. Maybe they saw it. I don't know. Maybe maybe they, they clearly they thought Roberson gave him a better chance to to win that game, but uh, they were clearly wrong. And I think that probably opened the pathway to really taking a longer look at Christian Veyu in practice, and then uh, take one Roberson the writing being pretty clearly on the wall that this wasn't happening for him at Penn State, and that's how he ends up at UConn. And then it's clear the loss to Illinois 
that was the hangover from the Iowa game. And we've seen this repeatedly, you know, in the James Franklin era. So let's let's look at the bigger picture here of what happened over these last couple of years, uh, Dustin. Uh, there was a bit of a slip in recruiting. There were a couple down years before we had this, you know, class of 22, which appears to be special. You had James Franklin talking about getting from great to elite. And then while you're enjoying this 5-0 and record, all hell's breaking loose in the coaching front. And James Franklin is in demand. We're hearing rumors of USC and all this. And next thing you know, this guy who's going to finish these two seasons at 500, you commit to him for the next decade. Yeah, and and what what timing of that? You know, the the there's a, a growing faction, I would say, of people who are just staunchly against James Franklin. You know, that that's a pretty vocal minority for a while, but as you go through the course of this two seasons, that bandwagon starts to fill up a little bit more. And then he signs a 10-year, 70 million dollar deal, which, you know, in in my opinion, in a year or two, that's really good, not going to look like that much. Um I mean, obviously $70 million is $70 million, but the going rate's going to keep going up and up and up. And there's more and more demand on coaches with all this off-season stuff and name image likeness and transfer portal and player movement. You know, there's more on a coach's shoulders now than ever before. So you're going to see, you know, the next good coach is the one who's going to keep one-upping and one-upping. It's just like quarterbacks in the NFL and starting pitchers in Major League Baseball. The next, the next star player to sign, is the next richest player ever in, in those leagues. It's going to be the same thing in coaching, but the, the timing was curious. Um, clearly, Penn State has a deep belief in what James Franklin brings to the table. Uh, he's got a track record that suggests he deserved more leniency. The question obviously is, did he deserve 10 more years of, of, of belief from the, from the athletic department in him? Did he deserve another contract where, you know, all, you know, the ball is, it's in his favor. You know, if he, if he, he has all the ability to leave Penn state doesn't really have much of a, much of an ability to fire him. So that contract, not only was it worth a lot, uh, it was, it was very slanted towards the coach. And I think it was just the timing of all this. Penn state did not need a leadership change late in a season with a, with early signing day coming with transfers coming, having a coach leave at that stage, um, especially one that, you know, you could, you could make a case. Okay. Penn state's not LSU for whatever, but, um, have a new coach come in. You could lose 25 guys from your current team and from your recruiting class, just like that. So I think, I think James Franklin had some leverage there and he, and he used it. And, uh, I'm not saying that he's not worth the contract. I think it's going to look a little bit better over time, but the timing of it really had some Penn state fans boiling. Did it not? It really did, and my take has been, and I've said it also on this show, Dustin, you're right. This is the going rate for top college football uh, coaches, and I do believe James Franklin, his name value, his ability to recruit, all of those things, I do believe he was in demand when they were 5-0. and My issue is not the amount of money that they gave him. My issue is what you alluded to. It's, it's a one-sided contract. Penn State is married to him. Penn State is committed to him. 
He is not committed to Penn State because he has... If Penn State would choose to end this marriage, Penn State owes him the entire contract. If he chooses to end the marriage, he could leave for a couple million. It's nothing. And it's... That's the problem with the contract. I, I interrupted you with my with a with a cue not to get in a really valid point. It's to say that Penn State was married to James Franklin. James Franklin is still a swinger, baby. <laughs> He's still a player. Uh, That's right. And uh, you know, there and there's some hot babes out there <laughs> who may be interested. So if he wins over the next couple of season, it will either be he'll he'll he will start flirting with somebody else again. And Penn State will have to rip up that contract and pay him more money. However, if he keeps losing, Penn State's stuck with him. All right, yep. that is it for quarter number three. Quarter number four, we're going to let you know what all this means going forward. Stay tuned. This is Jen from Collegiate Athletic Travel. We've been offering travel to the biggest Penn State games for over 50 years. This fall, we continue that tradition in partnership with Keystone Sports Network with a trip to the Penn State Auburn game. Join us for charter flight, staying at the team hotel, transportation to and from the game, and even a great tailgate party at the stadium are included. For more information, go to athletictravel.com or call 1-800-788-4414. See you there. What defines the special spirit of Penn State? Why Penn State by author Greg Woodman looks to Happy Valley in the 1980s for answers. Featuring rare photos, original essays, and exclusive interviews with Coach Paterno, this beautiful 256-page full-color hardback edition explores the why behind We Are. It's chicken soup for the Nittany Lion's soul and makes the perfect gift for any Penn Stater in your life, including you. Order today at whypennstate.com. 